0: Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today. What they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Dr. Stacey Tannenbaum is the Senior Director of Pharmacometrics U.S. at Astellas Pharma. She leads a team of clinical pharmacologists, statisticians, engineers, and data management experts who help quantify drug, disease, and trial information that aid in drug development and regulatory decisions. Dr. Tannenbaum earned her PhD in Pharmaceutical Sciences and Applied Mathematics from the University of Arizona and completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the Center for Drug Development Science at Georgetown University. Prior to joining Estelas, she spent eight and a half years in the modeling and simulation group at Novartis. She currently holds faculty positions at the University of Arizona and the University of Tennessee Health Science Center. Dr. Tannenbaum has had a significant impact on the global pharmacometrics community. She's co-founded three organizations, including the International Society of Pharmacometrics, the American Conference of Pharmacometrics, and the networking group MOSAIC, which stands for Modeling and Simulation Applications in Clinical Pharmacotherapy. Her leadership legacy includes having served as ISOF's first president, board member for the American Association of Pharmaceutical Scientists, and executive committee chair for the World Conference on Pharmacometrics. Hello, Dr. Tannenbaum. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having me. And please, Stacey is totally fine. The only person who calls me Dr. Tannenbaum is either my mom or students.
0: (laughs) Stacey, it is. I don't know if I'm ready to go back and enroll in class at this point, so we'll keep it yeah. at Stacey. That's fine. <laughs> well, Stacey, I'm so glad that you're here today. There's a lot of people that are watching or listening to this episode that are probably meeting you for the first time. Why don't you take this opportunity to share a little bit about yourself? Tell us who you are, what you do, and how does what you do impact healthcare?
1: So I'm Stacey Tanenbaum. I work at Estellas Pharma. I lead the Pharmacometrics Group here in the U.S., Um, Most people probably don't know what pharmacometrics is. So what pharmacometrics is, is modeling and simulation applied to pharmaceutical and clinical data. And what my group specifically does is, bottom line is, we set the dose. If you look on the back of the Tylenol bottle and it says take two of these every six hours, or you look at the back of the children's Tylenol bottle and it has a weight-based dosing, that's what we do. So my job is to understand clinical data and understand the sources of variability amongst patients. When we have these giant clinical trials, we look at all of the different demographics, other medications people are taking, smoking status, standard of care, et cetera. And we work those into uh, mathematical models. And what we do is we try to understand, A, what are the sources of variability and are they big enough for us to change the dose? And so for some drugs, you can give pretty much the same dose to just about anybody, And because you have a really wide range where you can get your concentrations. And for some, you need to be really narrow. And so therefore, you would have to adjust the dose based on some kind of special population, renal failure, things like that. So my job essentially is to analyze data to understand patient differences and to pick the dose appropriately for that. So please read your pharmacokinetics section in your drug label, because the only people who read it are me and my colleagues. But I'd feel really great if you... Read it, and if you have any questions, give me a call.
0: So I <laughs> so bet you all the pharmacists do, that uh, within are within my group. I bet you all the pharmacists that are listening on this episode today are all salivating because they're like, "Oh my God, you are the last line of defense between patient safety uh, and you know how, how medications are created." So it's really good to hear you describe and define what pharmacometrics is, especially for the non-pharmacists that are listening today.
1: And and for the pharmacists, I know I taught you guys pharmacokinetics, and I know you're like, "Oh my God, math! I hate it." But I hope hopefully now you understand why it's important. I think a lot of the pharmacists that I was teaching were just like, why do we have to learn this? That's why you have to learn this because we need to get the right dose to the right patient at the right time. So stay safe. That's what my that's what
0: my job is. I'm gonna say right now, and this is just full in full transparency, being a pharmacist. Um, yeah, I was probably one of those students that was like, I hate pharmacometrics, I don't wanna know this stuff, it's just all too <laughs> too complex. But now, you know, 20 years later I realize, like, oh my god, this is like this is between life and death, like there's a, a huge difference. So thank you for what you do in this space. Um, you know, you you and I have known each other for quite some time, but we've never really delved into your history. And you know, the work that you do is so pivotal. To the entire industry, um, you know, you, you're talking about reviewing uh, data from multiple studies uh, and mm-hmm. from across countries. I mean, millions of people's worth of data. How large is your team? And you know, maybe you can share with us a little bit about uh, a challenge or something that you got and your team are working on today to kind of solve for in this process.
1: So, at the moment, I have a, a fairly small team. We're hiring. Call me. Um, <laughs> I think that. But, but pharmacometrics itself, is, it's still an emerging discipline. It's actually a pretty small discipline if you kind of look in the grand scheme of things. You know, statistics has hundreds of thousands of people. We probably have less than 5,000 people who do pharmacometrics, but it is emerging. Um, so that's one of the challenges, too, is sort of supply and demand. And I think that as more people are starting to understand that you don't necessarily have to be a bench scientist to be a scientist, we're getting more people from different areas who are understanding that you can be a quantitative scientist and that's still being a scientist. So for me, that that's something I always wanna hammer home is a lot of people think that a scientist has to wear a lab coat and pipette. Um, that's not necessarily true. We're, we're scientists as well. We analyze data, but you have to understand the science, you have to understand physiology and pharmacology in order to be able to assess whether or not your models make sense and whether whether or not the numbers that are coming out are are reasonable numbers. I'm trying to, I don't know that I remember what your question was. What what is the challenge that we're working on Yeah, a challenge, I mean, but it kind of
0: sounds like you're kind of describing that today already in in a capacity, right? Like having the ability to see data and not just look at data, but then to Mm -hmm. be able to create a story with that, because there's, there's just so much information that's being collected, right? I think we talked about earlier, like how you focus on different parameters, right? You're talking about smoking, Mm -hmm. uh, gender, a variety of different things. Like how do you even parse through all of that information? Like it's my, blowing for me to be able to go through just like my 10 pharmacy magazines sitting on the side here. And you're talking about, you know, millions of data for, uh, I'll let you, I'll let you share.
1: Right. So we have to understand the drug that we're working on. So it's not just about getting numbers, not just about getting an Excel spreadsheet and being able to analyze those data. You can do that. So you can take uh, an Excel spreadsheet, you can do a plot and say, okay, I think that I can put a line through the points, but what we have to understand is we work extremely closely. So we do not work by ourselves. We work with our statistician, with our clinical pharmacologist, with our clinician, with other members of the study team, with the preclinical group who does the, the experiments more and more in animals. And we have to integrate that data. So I think what pharmacometrics does is we're integrators okay. because sometimes what will happen is we're trying to solve a problem and you're missing, you're missing a piece, but you bring somebody from medical who works more with patients and you work bring somebody with preclinical who works with animals and somehow you put them together and say, oh, wait, now I've got the full picture. So I was missing this piece that I didn't understand from the preclinical data. So I think one of the big problems that we're always working on is do we really understand the pharmacology, the physiology, the, the standard of care? Because even external forces like placebo effect and the disease progression, standard of care, um, diet, all of these things can impact how you process the drug. If I give 100 milligrams to 100 people, you're going to have 100, sometimes slightly different or sometimes completely different concentration profiles and from that different responses. So my job is to really understand that in the context of use and in the context of both internal, you know, weight and age and, and, renal function and external forces and try to pull all those things together how do we manage that is really by making sure that we're in contact with clinicians clinicians who understand what are the really important forces that shape this particular indication and in this particular patient population because otherwise we could be looking at shoe size and and you know height and right. Hair color and things like that, and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm being a little facetious. They're not super relevant, but sometimes they are. It depends, I guess. Shoe size might matter if you're looking at foot fungus. I guess so <laughs> I think, you know you have to understand the the disease, the patient population, the context of use, and those don't necessarily come from the modelers, although the modelers may have some experience in that area. But they come from our partners, and and I think one of the most important things about working in pharma is that you may work in a very niche field, but you cannot do your job alone. I could, but I'm not gonna give you the right answers because it's possible. I'm just gonna let the math tell me what the answers are, and that doesn't always gel with reality. Um, So I think one of the big challenges is pulling all those pieces together, having the right people at the table at the right time, and also just really having a deep understanding of not only the the drug itself, but also the, the disease, the patient population, the context of use, um, all of these things need to be pulled together into a, a greater whole.
0: So I love the way that you phrase that. And I like the way that it's framed, right? Because, and I know that my daughter, my son and daughter-in-law, they are very technically gifted. One's a data, aunt, one's a data scientist, one is a computer coder, and I'm pretty sure they're not listening to this podcast. So I'll just Pull them into this. Um they're pretty yeah nerdy. M- maybe
1: you want to because we're hiring if I have <laughs> I'll let before. them know. And, but they're pretty nerdy we, right we... and I
0: have this like vision of them because this is who they present themselves to be. They're very like much into the data and they can like sift yeah. through and parse all this right? right but what I do find difficult with them sometimes uh because I know they're not listening is that their ability to translate what they're seeing to me uh is it's like a it's miscommunication. I don't know if that's yeah. the right word or not but sometimes it's just like you're not telling me what I you know I can't comprehend what you're trying to tell me. Uh, and is this something that you see as a as a common theme or you know how oh. do you look for Yeah. Yeah. So you, so, okay. So I know that the need for a a technically gifted data analytical person is there. Right. And then the other part that you mentioned, right. So you have to be able to see the data and go through it and sift through it and know what's right and know what's, what's irrelevant. Then you have to be able to apply the knowledge from a pharmacological perspective so that the data meshes with this. Right. But this is all internal. Now, the third part is communicating what trends or what analytics are coming out of that. Do you see scientists doing well in this capacity? Is this something that's a naturally gifted thing or or how do you train your your team or other people to get
1: on board with that piece? It's trainable. Um, For some, some it is naturally gifted, but for others, you have to work at it, but you have to work at it. It, It's absolutely essential. So if you think about any, because we're data scientists essentially. So if you think about any technical field, Let's say you start talking to an auto mechanic and and they think you know a little bit a little bit about autos and I this is a terrible example because I don't know anything about it but they oh, start no, talking
0: relevant, about I know it's super relevant cuz I know nothing about cars and, either and fuel except start it and, and like, turn it off.
1: You know, I I don't know. And so, but if they said, "Well, here's what's happening is that when the fuel goes in here, it needs to be oh god, I this is a terrible example that it has to be ignited in order to do this and then this next step. If you, you can explain it in layman's terms to somebody I'll understand better and say, okay, now that makes sense. And so I think what happens is a lot of us, especially data scientists, we love our data. We love our models. We're really excited about the diagnostic plots. Guess who isn't? The people who you're making the models for. They they don't care. They don't care what software you use. They don't care uh, what your diagnostic plots look like. What they want to know is, how do I dose this patient? Do I give this drug once a day or twice a day? What's well, what's in it for me? What's in your modeling for me? And often you'll work with them at the beginning. You work with them in the beginning to figure out what are, the, what are the questions that you need answered? So then you go off and you do your modeling. And when you come back, if you say, well, you know, we use non-MEM and I use the FOCE um, and, and the, the theta is this, and then the, here's the shrink, they don't care. So they don't care. Um, what they wanna know is based on my modeling, I'm very confident you know, what's your level of confidence? That's also important. You know, what are the assumptions you made? What's the level of confidence? Very confident that you should be giving this drug twice a day. And here's why. So you can give them the headline first saying, you know, here, here's the, here's what I extracted from the modeling. This is, these are the questions that you wanted to know. How confident am I? What are the assumptions that are underlying it? And then if they want to dig into it, put that modeling stuff in the backup slides. But some people like to nerd out on data. And so they want to know how you got there and they want to know a little bit more. Often what I've done is I've presented the high level overview. I presented the information they need to know at the level they need to know it. And then I've offered to do sort of a Pharmacometrics 101 for people. If that's something they're interested in, they want to know how I got there. I'm happy to sit down with them and walk them through it. It's still very high level, but I walk through sort of what were my choices, why did I put this covariate, or when I talk about covariate, these are the demographics, internal and external Mm -hmm. factors that I talk about. Why did I put this covariate into the model? What what did I learn from this? So I walk people through it, and some people opt in, some people don't care and and opt out. That's okay either way. but part of that is building your credibility as a scientist. And if you come in and you're you're throwing super technical detail at them, they're going to go, you know what, I don't understand this. I'm just going to make the decision the way that I used to, which is pulling a number out of the air, or going yeah. with my gut. Um, for some people who are very experienced, you're often not not too far off from the from the answer. But what we can help you do is refine that. We help you integrate the information. We help you take the possible doses from infinite down to maybe a smaller subset. And maybe it's not the smallest subset in the world, but it's certainly Better smaller. Better than a million options, um, yeah. Yeah. So for us, I think when, when we communicate with our teams, you have to let them understand what did you do, not from a technical standpoint, but you know, what was the question you're trying to answer? How did you answer it? Very high level. Why is it important to them? How confident are you? What are the assumptions? And I think a lot of scientists, they, they just want to communicate the, the, the execution part. And, and, you know, look how nice my model is. Wow, the line goes through all the points. Well, that, that's great. Um, and that is great. I mean, that, that's great for me. So I yeah. want to see that as a modeler. And, that, you know, when my people come to me and say, I want to present to the team, I want to see those results. But I also want them to craft it so that the team understands it and uses it. Because otherwise, all your nice modeling, your line might go through every single point. They're not going to use it. And so you wasted your time.
0: And if and your you subscriber doesn't time. understand what's happening here, it's, it's going right. to be a massive issue. Right. You talked about, you know, collaboration, right? So my mm-hmm. assumption is, is that your team is talking to not just production and operations, but you're talking to sales and marketing, you're talking to providers directly. Um, and again, the stories that you have to create, but I want to go back to the, the part that we didn't address, right? Which is like, it's a trainable thing. How do you see your scientists or what, you know, how, what, curriculums, what training programs, how do you get scientists to go and stop nerding out to the extent where they lose their audience? How do you get them to be able to look at the data and explain it in a way that's relevant to the listener?
1: Well, sometimes as the manager, you just have to hammer it home. Um, You won't be surprised because one of the reasons we know each other is because of Toastmasters. Um, and I'm assuming your guests who listen to this probably have heard you talk about Toastmasters before, but just in case, it's a public speaking organization. Well, it used to be more about public speaking. Now it's also about leadership development, and they really do focus on that a lot. But one of the things I have always done is if I'm going to do a webinar, if I'm going to do a presentation to a mixed audience, I actually will have my Toastmasters friends, and they're all in pharma, they're all at Estellas, but I have my Toastmasters friends listen to my presentation first. So they can say, you use this acronym, I don't know what it is, or actually you've got this red text on a blue background, you might want to fix this. So they can kind of give you great feedback, not just on your execution, but on the content, how accessible it is, and, and just on the looks and, and and things. So I cannot recommend, and. It would be remiss of me because pretty much every presentation I do that I talk about communication skills, I tell people go, go to Toastmasters. There's one in your town. There might be one at your school, at your company. Please go look. Um, toastmasters.org. So Toastmasters is, is is one thing that I would strongly recommend to anybody looking to improve their, their communication skills. Um, it also helps you with time management and things like that. The other thing is, is... I always start with everything and then I go backwards. Um, So sometimes I throw everything that I might wanna say on a slide. And then I kinda, Mm. you have to sit back and look at it and say, how long is it gonna take me to explain this table or this plot? I don't have enough time for that. And, And I think that this is not gonna add any value. So really it's about, you've gotta work with people. So sometimes they come to you with their presentation and then you go through it with them and you ask them the difficult questions. Why are you showing this table? What do you want someone to get out of this table? It might be a table that's 10 rows long and five columns, but they only want you to see one number. So then you say, you don't need to show this whole table, show this one number and then talk about this one number. So a lot of times it's just about having somebody who's been through it. And I've given the technical presentations when I was a junior scientist and somebody did this for me too, is having somebody sit with you and walk you through it and say, take this out, streamline this, too much text on this slide, and I'm sure I I feel for the people who send me reports because they get back almost as many comments as there are words in the report, but the point of, of the reason for this is your report, your documentation of what you did matters almost as much as what you did because that's the piece that's going to be evaluated by the FDA or by EMA that's the piece that's going to be read by your team and understood by your team. And your slides also have to stand on their own. So you might give a presentation at the, the team meeting where you can give color commentary, but the, that slide deck now exists and might be used by somebody else. And, and, you know, oh, well, I'm gonna go and present this to senior leadership. And if they don't know what you're trying to say there, you know, your, your message, the message that, that you give Ideally, they ask you to come it to senior leadership, but that doesn't always happen. Right. The message that you're trying to give might be lost. So it's, I think knowing how important it is can help. I think a lot of people don't think it's that important to summarize as long as they can talk about it in the team. It's so important. Documentation, if it's not documented, you didn't do it. But also if it's not documented well, it's not going to be used well. So a lot of that is just practice. Um, presentation, practice, give the presentation, don't go right to the team with your results, give your presentation in front of your department, Mm. in front of your manager, in front of your peers, who may be depending on who your audience is, who don't have experience in your field or in your project, because those are the people that are gonna give you the best feedback. They're gonna say to you, I don't know what that acronym means, or, or you're using this terminology that I've never heard before. And you can say, oh I, yeah, I, I can take that out or I can replace that with something else. It's just practice. And I think the best, the best thing to do, practice, practice it with a lot of people. Uniformly, I always say this, when I go to conferences, you know who does the best presentations at conferences? Students. really, Because they, because they care, <laughs> they care, they practice, they, they review, they've been practicing for months, they work with their advisor, with their peers, with their teams. Now come to Q&A and they're kind of deer in the headlights sometimes because they practice their presentation, but maybe they don't. That's true. (laughs) You see them searching for their advisor in the audience, but they give the best presentations because I think as you become more senior, you stop caring so much. And I actually, I have a problem with that personally. I think that the more senior you are, the more you should care because people are looking to you for uh for guidance and Absolutely. they want to see what a good presentation looks like and if you dash something together the day before because you know somebody's going to call you to present again um to me that's disrespectful of your audience so Stacey, you have some very strong feelings a, about science communication as you see.
0: <laughs> you've had a really interesting, you know, career like to get to where you are today, right? And it's not something that people just wake up one morning and say, you know, by golly, I'm just gonna be a senior director of pharmacometrics at no. this How did you get here? Like, you know, what did you do to be able to prepare for this role? Was there a, a pivotal moment in your early professional career where you suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, had that light bulb moment and you were like, you know? This is a really good fit for who I am and what I do. I'd love to hear your origin story.
1: Absolutely. So I've always been math, science, computer oriented all through school. And so engineering seemed like a reasonable approach to to do in in college. So I I went to to Duke University for engineering, biomedical engineering. And for the first three years of my undergraduate career, I was heading towards uh, orthotics and prosthetics. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to build artificial limbs. Um, and then I took a class from one of my professors who I liked a lot. Uh, He had taught a signals and systems class, kind of an applied math class, and I'm a math nerd, and so I thought, yeah, okay, sounds cool. It was on pharmaceutical sciences, and he worked a little bit in the anesthesiology area, so he had some experience in in pharmaceuticals, Um, and essentially about two or three weeks in, he started talking about pharmacokinetics, and I just went, that was it i i'm like all right this is that's it It's what i'm doing for the rest of my life and really it was that simple this i just saw this and i'm like everything just click 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 oh really and i said that's what i'm gonna do and and essentially that's what i did so i went on and i got my phd in pharmacokinetics and i i got my minor in applied math what i didn't know about pharmacokinetics at the time is that there's a lot more to it than just the math part so there's um understanding enzymes and cytochrome p450 and working with animals and taking samples and and developing assays and so as I went through and I'm going to age myself but whatever uh, when I went to go apply to grad schools I had we didn't have the internet yet okay <laughs> but, so I went I, so I went to the library and I got this by the way that was really looked,
0: brave of you Stacy. I'm just going to say yeah, that. whatever I have
1: gray hair it's fine ah. So I, you know, I looked up pharmacokinetics training programs, and so I sent out my, I sent out a postcard asking for a, a, a brochure. Man, the internet has made things so much better. <laughs> um, so as I, as I interviewed in all these schools, they're talking about these non-math things, and I was just like, I don't, I don't know what these things are. My last interview at the University of Arizona, I said to my now, my future advisor, now past advisor, look, here's the deal. I'm an engineer. I don't know what a cytochrome P450 is. I don't want to work in the lab and, and cut up animals or, or develop assays. I want to do this math stuff. And he went, okay. And so <laughs> I went to the university of Arizona and um, they have an excellent applied math program. I kind of designed my own program. I took some statistics classes, math classes. Cool. I did the modeling stuff. It was pretty, you know, small back then went on to do a postdoc where I learned some of the, the, really fundamentals of what I do now, the, the pieces of software and, and, and you know, the, the methodologies that, that I use now, went on, spent eight and a half years at Novartis as a modeler, as an individual contributor, until I got a call from my mentor. And so this is somebody I met as a graduate student, and we've always kept in touch. And He's part of the reason I'm so passionate about communication skills. He's written a book called how to be a model communicator. And it's essentially how to do a scientific presentation. Peter Bonet, B-O-N-A-T-E recommend the book. It's excellent. And um, you know, I'd been in touch with Pete for many years off and on. He's actually the one who started me down my leadership track, which I'll mention in a second. And he called me and said, I'm at this company called Estellus. And I said, I've never heard of it, which, which I hadn't. And he said, well, I'm here. I like the way they think. And I want you to come, you know, be, be, be my right hand man. And I said, okie doke. And so uh, I've been there. That's loyalty
0: and trust right there. Right. I mean, that's amazing. It's, 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 those are remarkable relationships. Like when you have somebody that you are willing to just drop everything for, because you know who they are and they know you and it's, wow, that's really great.
1: Well, I mean, it was also time and, you know, we can talk about that too, sort of knowing when to say when. And I, it had probably been when to say when quite for quite some time. So everything converged. Um, and he's the one who gave me the opportunity then to lead, lead my group. Um, and it was great because Pete, he's amazing. He's an excellent thinker. He's somebody who says, oh, you know, I uh, was thinking about this this weekend. So I ran some simulations and I've written a manuscript, you know, and, and I'm somebody who's like, do we have a process for this? Uh, What's what's our plan for this? Where's the documentation for this? So we kind of he said you complete me when I came there because I was the one that was hammering home like documentation and process and 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 working environment and he was just kind of like let's do science and the two of us together I think I've really made an an amazing well I think an amazing group where there is that nice balance of doing really hardcore and awesome science but also trying to do it in a in a reproducible and 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 you know well documented way. I'm not saying that he didn't well document things. I don't want to throw him under the bus. But it's Yeah, just, but we, we both we know you
0: to, were better at it. So <laughs> we,
1: we you both said, remember very you compliment him. <laughs> we we did. And and it's been it's been so great. And so I'm going on almost 10 years now. Um and I just I love it. I love I think I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do. So my time as a hands-on modeler is pretty much past. I still do some, but What I do now is all that fun stuff that I was talking about, advising people on communication, on strategy, on scoping, how to talk to your team, how to figure out what's the right problem, when to say when, Um, and in modeling, a lot of people don't know when to say when because they want it to be perfect and sometimes we don't have time. Um, So I think I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do and I give Pete a lot of credit for recognizing that potential in me and, and giving me that call. And um, so it's been, it's been amazing. I'm, I'm really happy. And I just, I love my job. If you can't tell.
0: <laughs> I, I couldn't, you know, I'm, I, I have, I'm having to pull it out of you a lot. So Yeah, I know. <laughs> I kidding. know you say, so like, you're, you're, you're at a high level, right? And one of the things that I really <laughs> admire about you and especially through this conversation is like, you're so relatable, like you're able to talk about, you know, what's happening today. And you're talking about like being able to be available and accessible do you see that that's something that is pretty common in both your industry and at your level? And is that something that because it was done for you, it's just kind of in right into your nature now, like, you know, this is how it should be. And how do you like get your peers at the level that you are to also be accessible for new practitioners, students, mm-hmm. um, or just even experienced professionals who are just looking for new opportunities and, and new avenues of interest?
1: So i I feel very lucky that for the most part, actually 99.999% of pharmacometricians are accessible. But of course, I'm speaking as someone who's already kind of there. So I I don't have a problem going up and meeting people. I think for students, that's one of the big pieces of advice I give them is just go ahead and say hi. They're not going to bite you. Um, Or if you want to go ahead and say hi and you're not comfortable, come with me. I'll, I'll introduce you. So I think it's really important for for students, you know, and like I said, my mentor helped me is to find somebody who's a little bit senior, whether it's through your advisor, whether it's through you know somebody that you've worked with before, you've interacted a mentor through an organization, and ask them to introduce you to the right people. Everybody's accessible. Um, you know, are there egos? Sure, there's egos everywhere, but I think that for the most part. Don't be afraid, you know, for students that are listening, don't be afraid to go up and just say hello to someone and introduce yourself. There's a time and a place. If they're in the middle of, the, you know, a, a presentation, no. But, but, you know, if you see them at the, at the networking event or something like that, reach out to them on LinkedIn. And if you're not comfortable, ask somebody to connect you. Um, and, you know, we've just started it, within the International Society of Pharmacometrics has started a mentoring uh, group recently or a mentoring um, program recently. And I've introduced my mentees to people and I've had other people say, you're the queen of networking. Um, so I do a lot of networking. Um, I want you to, to talk to my mentee about how to do that. So I actually had a, had a conversation with, with his mentee talking to her about how do you break in. And the other thing is, and I, I mentioned, this to you in some of our, our pre-discussions, is um, once you once you do get involved in that, um, one good thing to do is to get involved in, in volunteer uh, volunteering in your professional organizations. So I mentioned before that Pete brought me in, uh, you know, it, it's Pete's fault that I'm, I am where I am now, because when I was a postdoc, I was sitting in the audience of a, at AAPS, which is the American Association of Pharmaceutical Scientists. I was sitting in the audience of uh, the modeling and simulation focus group. So they had these small kind of uh, niche groups and Pete was the chair. And I knew Pete just as my mentor. And he said, we need somebody to be the next chair of the focus group. He's like, Stacy, you want to do it? And I went, okay. And essentially got involved in that. And through that, I got to propose programming and I got to make myself the moderator of programs where these, big cheeses were speaking, and I am up there associated with these big cheeses, asking excellent questions, which they provided to me. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) Um, But honestly, you fake it till you make it. So I'm up there. I don't, I'm not necessarily at a place where I can understand all their presentations, but yet I'm like, wow, Nick, that's a really great point. Let me ask a question about that. And suddenly people know who I am and they're associating me with these people. So one really great way to start getting connected to people is to get involved in volunteer leadership through your professional organizations. AAPS for me was huge. Um, And then later on, that's what gave me the confidence to go on to actually start. I'm going to say start my own. It's not my own, but to start a International Society of Pharmacometrics. I did that, of course, in partnership with many other people, but that confidence that you gain through volunteer leadership and the networks that you make, they're going to help you through the rest of your career. And really what, what I bring to the table, am I a good scientist? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine. Nobody's ever going to say, Oh, I used the Tannenbaum method to, to, to <laughs> yeah, do Come this. on, Stacey. It's a possibility. It might
0: happen. <laughs>
1: right. There's still time. <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't do any hands-on work anymore, but, but um, what I brought to the table was, was leadership. And, you know, starting organizations. So there was not a pharmacometrics society. There was not a pharmacometrics meeting in the U S and now there is because I had the confidence from some of this early leadership to say, Hey, why don't we try this? And really that's how the American conference on pharmacometrics was born. Nice. Um, I'm one of the founding members because we, every year we'd go to this European conference on pharmacometrics and I'll sit around and go, be hey, great. If we had something like this in the U S yeah, sure would. And then each year we'd say that finally the third or fourth time I said, well, why don't we just do this? And I was young and I said, you know, I'll take the lead. Um, It's been really great for me. Obviously, it's been amazing for my career that that is what has essentially launched me into being famous um, within pharmacometrics, but has given me all these opportunities too to to bring some of the students and and my mentees and my junior scientists along with me. Um, And I just I love that because I love what I do clearly. And if I can bring other people and ensure the future of what I do, then I'm doing a good thing. You know, I did a good thing in the past and I'm also doing a good thing for the future to, to bring in new excited people who who love this as much as I do. Stacey, um,
0: would you say that this has been the, the most proudest thing in your professional journey so far? I mean, like that's a huge Yeah. Huge undertaking, right? Like to put on an entire conference and to create a society like that. You're telling me. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost unheard of, right? But I, because I've never met anybody that's ever pioneered or chartered something like this. So my mind is already blown, but you know, from, from your perspective, like, are there, would this be like that feather in your cap?
1: It's, it's, it is my legacy. You know, I always say that, like, like I said, I've written some nice papers. I've done some good work, you know. I I I've, I've brought drugs to the market and I'm super excited about that. But from from a, a continuity of my discipline perspective, it's the thing I'm the most proud of. Um, and you know everyone everyone knows me. I go to these conferences in Europe and I have my little ACOP bag with me and it's I'm not trying to be passive aggressive. It's a good bag. <laughs> but but you know ACOP and and isop these the the society and the um and the meeting um those are my babies. and And so I care probably still way too much for somebody who's rolled off the board years ago and and who's no longer involved, um, you know to the extent that I was. But, you know, it's gone from the first meeting where we had three hundred people, and now we regularly sell out every year. We have over a thousand people um, that came to our virtual meeting. Um, usually we have to cap it at 800 because we just don't have any more room for people. And we have, you know, more than, a couple, I think, a thousand plus members in, in ISOP. And there's working groups and mentoring and committees and and special interest groups that partner with other societies. So it's it's gone beyond what we hoped for when we started this little group. Um, and, you know, for me, it's really exciting. And I like that now I go to ACOP and I don't know everybody. Um, for me, that that's a that's that's the cool part, right? I used to know everybody, and now I don't anymore because that means our, our discipline's growing, and there's more people that are coming in from other from other fields. There's more people, more students that are coming in. I think that's awesome. Uh, Pete once said to me, "I met somebody who doesn't know you," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> and, How
0: dare you, Pete? How dare you? Yeah, I was a, I was a little <laughs> the
1: by but I was like, "How could they not know me?" But but you know, for me, that's. That's actually a great thing. I think it's yeah. just wonderful. Yeah, that, it's
0: growth, right? You get to it, see it from growth, a different right? vantage point. Like, wow, you know, it's, it's it's become, it's taken on a life of its own, and that's mm-hmm. what you want as a parent. You want to be able exactly. to see something. You know, you give it roots so that it knows where it comes from, and then you give it wings so that it becomes bigger and better than what you could imagine. So I would love to hear that, um, Stacy. Talk to me a little bit about what you see for yourself next. Right, I know you're enjoying what you're doing. I know that you're in love with you know your organization, with your team, but like maybe like either not, if not for yourself, then for the field of pharmacometrics, like, well, how do you see pharmacometrics being different in the next five years? In what areas of growth? Or or how do you see it morphing uh, to adapt to to new challenges?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that is really exciting right now is there's a lot of open science, there's a lot of, of, um, there's a lot of new tools that are being created, there's a lot of new Um, software and a lot of new um, methodologies that are coming all the way down the pike. So it used to be that we had this, you know, limited computing power. We had limited opportunities to, to do some of this really complex data. And now over time, we've started to adapt to those. And, you know, there's a lot of sharing. There's a lot of open science where people are developing these tools and packages in our software, and they're putting it out there and saying, here, use our models, make them better, give us feedback on it. So for me, I think that's really exciting and that, you know, it used to be you, you held everything that you did. It was IP. And of yeah. course, there's still IP. There are certain things you, you, you don't put out there. But the fact that a model is. It's sort of it's 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 some of it is, is specific to the compound, but some of it is is open and that there's so much sharing going on within our, our community. There's so much teaching and education and free stuff out there for students who wanna get into this field and understand it. Um, there's a webinar like every other day. Um, you know, For me, that's really exciting. So there, there's a lot of new education, there's a lot of new methodologies that are coming out. Um, the challenge for that is, you know, at least for someone like me who, who doesn't kind of do the day-to-day hands-on stuff is I'm running after the bus all the time trying to keep up because I want my folks to be aware of that. Um, you know, I want my folks to be able to use these methodologies and these tools if they need them and then they want them. But that means I have to be aware of them to a certain level that I can say, if someone comes to me and said, we don't have the resources to, to answer this question, I can say, okay, use, use this tool. This is out there. I'm going to bring these people in to do a demo so we can decide kind of what's next. So so that's very exciting. I mean, our, our main piece of software is a is a program written in the 1970s in Fortran. Um, which it, it, but it's <laughs> I'm laughing because so I know long. Fortran.
0: That's why I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, me is, too. Seriously? So
1: It's been around so long, but it's established. And so, you know, and, and most of us have learned to kind of work around its little quirks. Um, and, it, you know, it's a great program. It, it works. And sure. it's been upgraded over time, but it's still written in Fortran. And so I think that, you know, having some of these new tools makes this field more accessible to people. Um, and, you know, having some of the training also makes it accessible to people. Whereas this program is is kind of a bear to learn. Um, people are making wrappers for it that make it easier to learn, you know, they're like front ends um, and all kinds of things that I think are really supportive of the field. So I think from a technical and, and computational standpoint, we're really, really moving forward. Um, people are becoming better communicators. They're starting to understand our place at the table. Um, it used to be before that if you had someone who was a data scientist, they kind of sat in a dark back room, you know, doing their modeling, but now we're at the table. We're sitting at the team level. We're helping to identify the questions. We're helping to communicate and, and to, and to, to um, interpret our results for, you know, we're going to FDA meetings. Um, we're going to team meetings and and we're we're strategic partners more than service providers where I think for for many years it was more of a service provider type of um role and I love the fact that we're not in a back room anymore because um, you see I don't think I would do very good in a back room and that was my concern in going into a field like this is that I would just be that person who got handed a data set did my modeling and handed out mm-hmm. you know a a, a half-life um, and that's not the case at all. There's still, there's room for that. I mean, there's room for that. If someone wants to be super technical, we have that capability, um, but they really have to pair then or partner with somebody who can help with the interpretation and the scoping. So those are, to me, it's, it's the technical, it's the communication and, certi- and you know, the, the the strategy components of it. And it's also, you know, we're expanding into, we're having people from chemical engineering and, and you know, biomedical engineering from statistics, from mathematics um, that are coming into our field and they're bringing new ideas and new ways of approaching problems. Um, So at my last job, we had a really, really varied group. We had statisticians and mathematicians and, you know, and if I didn't know how to solve a problem, somebody did. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be in a way that I had never thought of because I'm not trained that way. So I think also having a much more very disciplined with a lot of different backgrounds. Um, does cause some confusion sometimes. You know, there's terminology issues that people get confused by because one group uses this and one group uses this. Um, but, you know, it's, it's also opening the door for a lot more collaboration and, and, you know, cross-discipline learning. So we're not just like all we do is pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics. It's really expanded out substantially and for me that's really exciting i like going to to meetings and and not being able to understand all the presentations again i didn't so, like Stacey, it at, you know i didn't like it at first but i do you, now
0: you said that you have an opportunity on your team right which means that you have several people that you're managing right and as a scientist yeah. that's moved mm-hmm. into a leadership role that that's very it's not rare anymore but it is less common than I guess in other industries and other disciplines, mm-hmm. right? Talk to me a little bit about your role as a leader. Like, was that a natural transition for you? Do you clearly you enjoyed that? I would assume that because you know, you've been doing this for some time. Yeah. Talk to me about you know, your, your transition into a leadership role. Tell me about some mm-hmm. of the challenges or, or tell me about the things that just consistently drive you every morning to wake up and go, you know what? This is why I love what I do.
1: So it wasn't so difficult of a transition for me because I already had a lot of the leadership experience from before, but I hadn't been a people manager. Um, So I think one of the challenges of people managing is you have to have difficult conversations. You have to give performance evaluations. Thank goodness for Toastmasters for teaching me how to give evaluations, Toastmasters, um, and, you know, to give and receive feedback and things like that. For me, you know, the executive presence piece, I'm just kind of like, you know, so I think it's you know, sometimes about learning the less is more piece when you're, when you're speaking to senior leadership and things. So that's been um, something I've been working on a little bit more. I think if I hadn't had the technical experience, I don't think I would be a good manager for people who are doing technical work because I have to understand their challenges. So if you bring somebody in who doesn't have any hands-on modeling work, they don't realize how much time and effort, what it takes to actually get to the modeling, all the data cleaning you have to do, and all of the interpretation, all the different models you have to try, because they only see the out, you know, they only see the final model, but you might have tried 200 in order to get to the final model. So I think that's situated me very well to be able to understand the challenges of the people who work in my group that do the day-to-day work. Um, and also to be able to still like to read their modeling report, to look at their code, and be able to give them feedback and, and information on that. So that that to me has been very helpful. Um, I don't miss it so much anymore because I think I realize I have the sort of higher purpose of helping really drive the discipline forward by making sure that the folks that are working under me um, are being strategic partners. Are You know, I get mama bear, you know, they're being listened to, that they're being, you know, um, respected and that, that their, their contributions are being, um, appreciated. (laughs) So I think a lot of that has helped me to get here. Not every technical person will be a good manager because I think you also have to deal with the people stuff. You have to deal with giving feedback. You can't just be focusing in on, you know, oh, well, your model didn't do this. It's really about, um, helping them be the best partners to their teams um and helping them with the communication and things like that Um, I wouldn't go backwards I I think for me I I didn't like I said I'm a good modeler but I didn't see myself going down a super duper technical track I could do it I mean I have the background for it it would be like riding a bike but it would be like riding a bike with extremely thin wheels (laughs) if I were to go back and try to catch up I think on on what sure um what but that's a sacrifice that we
0: make, right? Like we 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 it take is. what we use the education, the training, the mm-hmm. technical firsthand experience, uh, and the and the and the knowledge in that space to be able to leverage ourselves up for a greater for a greater right. re- scope, greater responsibilities, and larger influence. Um, and mm-hmm. and I think that that's a it's a good call out to make, right? Going back. Um, You know, maybe for somebody that chooses to retire and, you know, loves the, you know, the science and industry, the science aspect of it, sure. But I can understand exactly what you're saying. Stacey, you've provided a lot of great advice. And I always ask for, you know, my guests to be able to impart just a little bit more in the sense of career advancement, right? So for the listeners that are listening to this episode today, they're going to glean a lot of information, right? They're going to take away volunteering, helps people become more confident, uh, helps them see things and organize things, actually create things for that purpose. Um, you know, having mentors, a specific mentor in your case, you know, was the one who guided you and continues to be a a solid partner for you today. Is there any other advice that you would give to the listeners today as it comes to advancing their career that you think was instrumental in your own advancement as well?
1: So definitely, you know, you you touched on it, but finding those gaps and a lot of people say, well, man, I wish there was a working group on X, or I wish, you know, I could get involved in, in Y. If it's not there, do it, create it, you know, and if you don't feel comfortable creating it, talk to a senior person who can help you create it. But that's really where you start to, to get your niche is to, to identify those gaps and then to go for it. And you got to be brave. Sometimes these things fizzle out. I'm not saying that every single one of my, um, volunteer and, and, uh, initiatives have been, you know, awesome. Of course, I'm only going to talk about the ones that were awesome, <laughs> but, but take a chance on, on that kind of thing. And then the other thing that I, that I would talk to students about is um, a lot of people freak out about the, you know, their first job. And, and um, as I said before, you need to know when to say when, and, and for me, I probably should have, where I, where I started amazing group, amazing opportunities. I it was a good place to grow up, but I should have left probably a couple years before I did, because mm. I was sort of, I, you know, I wasn't growing anymore and I wasn't helping them grow anymore. So. I think in this day and age, you don't go to a company and uh, some people do, but generally you don't go to a company and stay for your entire career. Um, I'm not saying you should hop jobs every year, please don't do that. But I think at the same time, you need to kind of evaluate, am I growing at this company? And is this company growing or benefiting because of me? And if you answer no to both of them, it's probably time to move on. I think loyalty is important you know, I'm very loyal to my company, but a lot of people think I'm going to leave and this company is going to fall apart. Guess yeah. what? We're going to reassign your projects the next day. Um, we're going to be sad you left. And, and we're always sad. I'm always sad when somebody leaves. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's not the end of the world. And I had a great advice from, from a, a pharmacometrician who had been in leadership for a very long time when I first took over the group. And he said to me, don't be sad when somebody leaves your group. And he said, because you help them get to a point where they are going to be more sought after, where they are a better modeler and they're a better scientist because of your leadership. Um, And so, you know, I just recently lost somebody in my group and she was amazing. Um, But she said to me, you're the reason, you're the reason I'm leaving. Um, I, I, not like that, but, you know, you've given me the confidence (laughs) and you've, you give me the confidence to to take on a new opportunity that maybe I wouldn't have two years ago, and I just saw her leadership grow over a couple of years to the point where it was just like she's a different person than she was when she joined the group. So yes, I am sad she left for for many reasons, but at the same time, I think it's kind of awesome that she's now going on to 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 lead somewhere else. I um, and I just thought that was such great advice, so I try to take that in mind because you do. Take it personally a little bit when somebody leaves your group, whether you're their boss or whether you're their colleague. Like, how could you possibly leave this group? But I think it's it's kind of awesome when somebody leaves and they go on to do great things in in new places. Um, so for me, I that is bittersweet, obviously, um, when someone leaves. But I think it's and that's really good advice. I think for managers is you've got to develop your people, even if it means you might develop them out of the job, because if they don't leave. Then they're going to be awesome where you are, and if they do leave, they're going to be awesome somewhere else. But you can kind of take that. That's also your legacy, a little bit as a as a manager is to help somebody get to that next level. Awesome. Um, I try to be I try to be mature about it, but it does make me sad when someone. leaves. Well,
0: it, it's emotional. I can understand that, right? Yeah. I mean, no matter what, no matter how you slice it, working with a team means working with a family. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and that all the family dynamics that exist at work, um, you know, some of the life stuff comes into work, mm-hmm. some of the work stuff comes, I come at work, and you just build that bond. So I, I definitely right. understand that. And I'm glad that you called that out, because I think a lot of listeners today that are managers or directors are sort of like, you know, how do I separate myself from this situation because I want to develop my team, but at the same time, I'm losing the best person I have. And, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword in some cases, but it's good. Stacey, you've been fabulous. I'm so glad that you joined me on the show today I hope you had as much fun as I did I know there are going to be listeners who are going to want to reach out to you and and connect Mm -hmm. with you what's the best way for them to do that
1: um they can always find me on LinkedIn and uh it's Stacy Tannenbaum and you you'll have there are there actually are more than one (laughs) so look for the one that is Stellis. um we've actually linked into each other me and the other Stacy Tannenbaum once she got um her information got put on one of my webinars. So I sent her a note saying, oh, enjoy the webinar. She's like, oh my God, what happened? <laughs> um, but that LinkedIn is probably the best. Do me a favor and just let me know where you heard from me. I get a lot of weird LinkedIn requests. Um, email as well is just stacy.cannonbaum. I would say at gmail.com is, is my, my personal email. Please reach out. I'm, I'm happy to talk to people, career development, mentoring, communication, whatever you like. Um, I love what I do. If you wanna learn more about pharmacometrics, we're hiring. Um, Slight and, plug,
0: listeners. Slight hey, plug. Take to. it. Take it. Excellent. I have to.
1: There's a lot of competition because supply and demand. Uh, our absolutely. supply is very small. Our demand is very high. So
0: absolutely. If I can
1: reach somebody, great.
0: Sounds great, Stacy. Thanks once again. Really enjoyed having you on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Higher podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career build a better brand and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.